Welcome to the Comms Coffee Club podcast brought to you by Comms Search and Selection, the leading search and recruitment firm for in-house communications roles in the UK and the US. I'm your host, MD and founder of both Max Forsyth, uh, and delighted to be welcoming onto the pod pod today, Kate Howell, uh, Corporate Communications Director, uh, who spent the best part of 12, 13 years as the Director of Communications Engagement at Borough Market, and prior to that, started her career uh, working in the Central Government Press Office for uh, the Labour Deputy Prime Minister, John Prescott. Um, It's a great episode. We get into everything from um, corporate communications in food, what it was like going through the graduate program in a government press office uh, and working on the grid, plenty of references to the thick of it. Uh, And uh, finally, we'll also discuss um, how she reacted from a communications point of view to the 2017 London Bridge terror attack, uh, which unfortunately ended up in Borough Market. So without further ado, let's get into it. I hope you enjoy the episode and don't forget to uh, like and subscribe on YouTube um, or to click the follow button on whichever is your preferred podcast platform. Max, how are you doing? I'm really well, thank you. How are you? Yeah, not too bad, thank you. Lovely and sunny here. I'm uh, I'm actually in Swansea at my mum's house today. Max, that was called Ritzy's in my day. And yes, we best oh, was it? gloss over that when you can usually age people in Swansea by what they used to call my mum's and dad's time. It was the top rank. Ritzy's for me, you're obviously a bit younger, Oceana. Yeah. From Oxford University, what did you study? I read English, English language and literature back in the day. Super. And as most people who do an English degree, left university, wasn't exactly sure what you wanted to do. Spent a few years in the marketing team for Oxford University Press. About the uh, first corporate comms job you got in the big smoke. Yeah, big smoke. I tell you what, coming from Oxford and I was absolutely determined London wasn't for me. You're right. There was a brilliant and and something I'm still very passionate about that doesn't exist anymore. um, Something called the um, Government Communication Network. network. So it was think fast stream, um, but think communications focused. Um, And I applied to join that through a series of interviews. And the idea was to elevate um, communications as a central strategic function across departments and yes. once you were in this scheme you would get placements at different departments and, and, and learn different skills and um, comms experience behind me in publishing um, and I went into a small publishing team in the then office of the deputy prime minister I think if you can remember two jags and two jabs was the great John Prescott at the time Um, uh, but he I was a very small cog in a very large department that covered huge policy areas housing planning social exclusion um, the women's brief was part of it Um, we had the fire service I was seconded over to the press office and that's really where I cut my teeth in the basic foundation of my career I would say was the deputy director of communications and we were split across two sites uh, one over in victoria and one in 26 whitehall but i yes. just found myself and actually didn't realize you know most things when they're happening to you and you don't realize until hindsight quite quite what a big year it was i cut my teeth in press office and you know that's 
24-7 at the time. We were rotored. Um, we covered the papers back in the day before everything was online, but hard copy papers yes. in the morning when we're getting those late. Um, yeah, felt like the right place at the time. Bit of a young person's game. I don't know how I'd feel about 24 hours at the rotors at the minute, but um, yes. too, too tired for it. But um, at the heart of it was a strategic comms unit um, run by somebody called Jenny Haight, who I am very pleased to say has become... Um, one of my professional mentors in in the loose terms and a really good friend. People try and like, young press officers trying to impress and be terribly important. And um, I was mm. really drawn mm. to Jenny, and I've learned I've learned some really important lessons from her. One of those people that sticks with you. But at the heart of everything we did was a a machine called the Grid. And I say machine. Um, it was an A4 piece of paper, but boy, did you not lose it. Um, tell me about the Grid. I can tell you about the Grid. Um, anybody that's watched the thick of it, think of that. Don't make an announcement without all the sign-offs from all the departments. Otherwise, yeah. you're in trouble. Don't say yeah. anything. Don't pick it up. And, and Malcolm was, Tucker running around, ranting and raving. Yeah, yeah, ranting and raving and some really kind of, you know, scared people making mistakes. Um, but the grid, there was a departmental grid for every department. There was a central grid that was held by, at number 10. Mm. You were scared to kind of put your hands up and go, our department's got this announcement. And everything would be coordinated, making sure messages weren't um, clashing, that bigger picture. Meetings at number 10, I'm assuming where you had to run through what the department was doing, that would be Alistair Campbell running those or uh, it wasn't Alistair himself it was one of Alistair's team who ran the actual mm. grid um but we were in it was under Alistair Campbell's regime so it was really at the time I mean there's been so much written about this uh, about whether headlines come before the stories themselves and, and and where that balance tips but but for me what it did do and this has stayed with me is put mm. comms at the beginning of decision processes. It still amazes me. Mm. We're comms professionals, I'm sure everybody listening, you know, they had their head in their hands and you get something right at the end of it. And yes. then they bring in the comms and it's gone a bit, you know, it's either gone a bit pear-shaped or mm. they, you're just handed something and you're going, mm. hang on a second. I use this phrase that communications isn't like colouring in. You know, we're not yes. there to, to shade, but mm. strategic mm. planning comms right at the heart of things you know it's not i've seen it on so many charts and actually quite recently it's not an enabler it's a strategic function and that is where i really kind of thought yeah do you know what i mm. i i get this i could be i could get into this you know and do you know what it was still a bit you know you're going through the number 10 door that's a bit exciting isn't it and you'd be in the yes. waiting room and you weren't entirely sure who would be sat there with you at certain times so. obviously uh yeah you worked in john prescott's department uh maybe we can talk about john in a minute but um i'm assuming yeah did you meet gordon brown tony blair yeah well we met i didn't work directly for either of them um but within our department i worked quite closely with yvette cooper who was um one of the ministers in the office of the deputy prime minister at the time she had the brief for housing and planning that was brilliant again a brilliant mind um somebody mm. a politician that is still very driven by principle um high intelligence mm. could absorb briefs you know you do kind of see the amount of paperwork they get ministers you know overnight in the box you know you, as a person mm. you have to hit a deadline get it in the box it's not to be underestimated and and Yvette, um had young children at the time running to meetings with her and, and just absorbing briefs um but didn't suffer fools gladly, and I say that with respect. Yes. 
and thinking of the thick of it, was it was it literally like sat in the ministerial car and the red box is open and you're there reading through scripts and briefings yeah. and trying to recite them and a vet's going, what do you think of that or this? Yeah, you'd either be, if it was yours, you as, as you progressed to a little bit more senior in the office, that would be you if you were kind of um, head of a desk or something like that. And But you did have to understand your briefs. Um, and that yes. was really interesting because a lot of communication is about relationships and how important those internal relationships were. I kind of got that at that stage. So, you know, whichever brief you were on, you have to very quickly be able to get under the skin of something that, you you know, isn't your background. You know, I'm not a planner. I'm not, I'm not a housing specialist. Mm. To not pretend you're the subject expert mm. that's the biggest mm. one I learned so mm. if you were asked something by a minister don't try and fluff it you know don't try and make it up you you need to either make sure your brief is there and it's all there or have yes. the confidence um to say do you know what? I don't know but I'll find out for you and that's that yes. stuck with me through my career colleagues who clearly know their stuff inside out and can probably talk about building and housing regulations backwards in their sleep their ministerial brief is not their professional background before they got into politics. So they're not a subject matter expert either. So how would you work with them flipping around things you're being fed from the policy team and then feeding that up to the ministers and how they then present whatever that is, whether it's in a statement in parliament or it's a media engagement, etc. Start at the end, which is why comms is so important at the beginning, where do we all, and I mean that collectively, mm. and this is something you had to quite as well, and I said it's about relationships, it was about building trust with your policy colleagues as well, because you're right, they are subject experts in the field, they might have been working on this particular aspect of a certain bit of housing planning um, for XX years, and, they, and why should they have the experience of what that looks like to the outside world but I felt very mm. much and learned very quickly that seeing it done well and also quite frankly sometimes seeing it be do being done less well is that you where are we all trying to get to if that housing policy is about creating new homes for certain demographics etc etc you know that's what you want your headline to be that's a tick that's a positive yes that's something people understand trying at an early stage to get everybody on the same page of where you want to get to. And I think that's um, where brilliant communicators now come in and really show their worth. It's really cutting through quite a lot going, all of this around it, all of this technicality, whatever that looks like, what are we trying to say? How does this fit? How does this align to a strategic objective if big yes. picture we're trying to reduce homelessness by X. That involves yes. building X number of houses. That involves us changing things to this and this and this. But ultimately, don't forget where this is going to because that's what you want your end product to be. Um, and that, yeah. that stayed, you know, I'm sure we'll come on to it, where I've been for the last 12 years at Borough Market. That's always been forefront in my mind. Um, and mm. when I've seen other things by other companies um, and small businesses, in my case, when it works, it's when it resonates with people. In a corporate environment, this is, but I'm sure you've probably got lots of relatable examples from your time in politics where you know, stakeholders who are really on board with communications will quite often want to run a PR campaign for everything. And you need to be able to, you know, it's a nice problem to have, but you need to be able to turn around and offer that counsel of, you know, actually, is this genuinely worthy of 
running a campaign or particularly i'll use you know recent examples in in my career of small businesses that might have a new product launch or of course it's important it's massively important to to them particularly around um and i'm a massive fan of i mean we're bigger successes and believe me budgets have been extremely tight as they are everywhere at the moment non-paid for media has to be part of a bigger picture it has to be making Mm bigger statements so we'll touch on how on earth I went from deputy prime minister to donuts and freshly baked bread I'm sure but at Borough Market one of the strategic pillars that I helped to bring in was a commitment to sustainability and looking at how that place runs and all doing that it was for that reason but nobody had really wrapped that in or or pulled that together now you know it's great that there's granola being made from um, fruit waste mm. if you're wrapping that into a year of sustainability commitments where you're committing to and using examples that's where it comes in and you have to be a the person who as well as you know saying yes at, at points when it works mm. very politely has to say Do you know what it might be really important to you but I'm not putting out a press release that hasn't really it won't you know it's not going to get take up I don't want another quote that starts with thrilled. Um, No, you know, it's got Mm. to be Mm. big picture stuff that that can make a difference. And that's where you you start doing that and you start committing to it. So you have to deliver on that. Obviously, it can't be empty, empty promises. But that is when Mm. I think the shift for a brand's perception. And that's it. You know, if you say borough market to people and they think, yes, I love it. But oh, that change in perceptions has taken you know, me personally, over 10 years to get to, yes. and that's, that's success. Perhaps, you know, this will come in, but it will be at this stage and part of a bigger picture. Yes, yes, you're definitely right. I think, yes, looking at the bigger picture or that bigger trend or that or that hotter topic with your communications, because everybody loves to talk about their niche and, you know, their, their new really inventive product or their new service offering, which is great, and I'm sure it's wonderful in that little, little niche but little niches don't carry. I'm really mm. keen. And, and engagement is is exactly right. You're engaging people in your story and about human connection. And particularly mm. with a place like Borough Market. Now, Borough Market is, is, you know, millions and millions of people visit this bit of London where if there'd been a great plan, you would not have built a market space under two big train lines, you know, right in the middle of what was... Um, 30 years ago you can get a taxi south side of the river at a certain point of night that's a historic market that's been there for a thousand years plus uniquely it's a charitable trust um it's the only charitable trust so it was made a charitable trust in 1756 so we've got an act in parliament cheese on the on the ground floor but there's still a cell underneath it or they turn Um, the cell into a cheese store stores on the top of it and it's actually used as a cool storage space for cheese that's such a shame they didn't keep it as like a novelty jail cell it'd be great wouldn't it yeah Um, and can you imagine the corporate events as well but there's this amazingly rich history which obviously is fascinating and i won't you know there's a whole book in it and if you actually if you want to find out more about it um, um amazing mm. colleague mm. mark mark ridaway who's done a lot of writing for the market and actually wrote one of one of our books edible histories for us he's a real expert on it and um nice. there's, there's stuff on the website but the, the that history is all tied into the fact we're a charitable trust um and i should yes. say i was at borough market for 12 years and i've I've just um, quite recently finished with them after 12 years, which was uh, started as a three-month contract. The 
charitable trust objective is put on a market for the public benefit and I was really interested and I worked you're a charity I didn't know that but what that means in terms of commitment we put in place three pillars uh, around a main central strategy of food the commitment Mm. the market makes to food so one of the last projects I work on was to help publish uh, a food policy which laid out the market's um, attitude to sustainable food production to small producers Um, but we also put a pillar around the place. So Borough Market's yes. on that one spot in London. It's a historic site, but it needs to evolve. It needs to be there for generations to come. So what does that mean in terms of how we look after the space? Really was the one I picked up the mantle, having worked on that whole strategy, mm. owning that space and really shifting the trust to say, we can have a position on these relevant areas that we touch we can as I like to say punch more than our weight if that makes sense so on the one hand we can be this market here we can be very happy within the London space and welcoming international tourists or we can take a position on certain certain Mm. areas our engagement strategy so talking about sustainability and not just being the first place in London to put public water fountains in Uh, it's brilliant that they're everywhere now we put three water fountains in but we were the first public market space to um, phase out single-use plastic bottles. I'm saying it now, but when I was having yes. that conversation with people in 2016, so we're going back eight years, it was a very different space. Share of voice, but also standing, well, one within the, I guess, market space is probably quite niche. If you think about sort of tourist destinations yeah. in London and how well it was known compared to a lot of the others. It had been at the time I joined... It had had its what we kind of first renaissance 30 years before that when there'd been um, a real shift in the British food scene and, and mm. certain elements coming together. So you've got just the start of a young Jamie Oliver. You've got people like the Two Fat yes. Ladies. Food is coming into our thinking on a um, consumer basis on our TVs. But it's also massively shifting yes. historically. We're on the back of a BSE scandal where people were starting to question where their um food was coming from and actually what has been put in front of them so you've got a a shift in public interest into direct food production and you've also got in this bit of london a diet and you had a couple of pioneer traders and a lady called henrietta green who's an absolute powerhouse still one of the most influential women within british food scene today who persuaded the then trustees of the market to put on a two-day food lovers fair she invited down farmers and traders mainly from the north of england they came down in vans and slept in them and a number of the wholesalers retail to the public things were sold out on the saturday um they couldn't believe it the butchers didn't think people would be wanting to buy offer so we're actually quite a short term so it had become from 97 to when i joined in um 12 years ago can't work that out it had millions of visitors a year, but yes. mainly international one-time visitors. I had a bit of a fiery start. My first day, the then MD left, and the week after the chair of trustees left, there was quite um, a difficult relationship with traders that had mm. made the press. There were articles in The Guardian, like, has Borough lost its buzz? Again, it's dying on its feet. Relations are really bad. It's nothing more yes. than just a tourist trap, as they were. You know, I, I live in Greenwich. I could get out of bed on a Saturday. Why would I get on the train when I can go to what was a brilliant farmer's market in Greenwich and get Neil's yes. Yard Trees and all the rest of it? Londoners, specifically. Yes. Not exclude everybody else that was coming, 
but look at the needs of those people and what tick their boxes. We shifted not only the operations, the types of traders, fundamentally, some yes. new new traders were brought in under schemes like a food futures programme where innovation was at the heart of that. They'd trial mm-hmm. out. We had activation on site, twice weekly demonstration kitchens, which we Great. brought demo chefs into. We had um, a consumer magazine that went on to be a really well regarded food magazine inviting people in and those people becoming advocates for the market within a space and within London and we had certain activities you know for families and these different markets but also looking at some of the traditions of the market and shifting them up a bit so one of my favorite remains um traditionally the market in october celebrates harvest it's an amazing time yes pumpkins apples there was a traditional festival we did with a theater park company i inherited this and i got in it been running for five years at that time where we can do something different here and we were celebrating a point in history that we could say the market had been there for a thousand years. So I had a, a year's campaign based around this thousand and we got a thousand of them on site. And in one of our empty units at the time, just for 24 hours, we created a real Apple store that was nice. wiped out. You might look towards a brand reference there where we had yeah. a thousand different varieties of British apples on display to really celebrate the diversity of a certain type of food, but to get people talking about diversity and sustainability and seasonal eating. And where your food comes from as well. Yeah, where your food comes from on a really basic level. But we had 5,000 people through that door come into the festival and should be part of a first discussion because that's great as a, let's call it a stunt, a day stunt, PR, brilliant got the headlines change perceptions for that day but you, yes. that has to continue a program and that's where you know i built the comms team there wasn't a comms team and broadcast on the day photos on the day um but what interest i mean it, it did explode in terms of the design aspect to it so the yes. creative thought process which had come from uh, myself and a colleague uh, who was our development manager um david matchett who was a really creative individual as well. Um, and just from yes. team build, like the idea, the nugget of the idea. And because it was so well executed, we worked with a designer who put the, the unit in place, basically. We had an empty unit and yes. we put the fake walls up overnight and displayed a thousand apples. It was really the visual that got the interest. We touched upon design moments and in that space well beyond food and well beyond London. So crucially, something like that had national interest. But we, when I joined Borough Market, there was a website, which was great, tick, um, but it had a map and opening times on it. And now that website has got stories about where the producers comes from. It's got mm-hmm. a community that we've evolved into, a cookbook club where people, we, yes. we talk about books of the week. We had just started on that journey. So social media channels, as with anybody in food, will know Instagram and where that goes, it's a really, really important comms tool now. But we just we just started. But yes, we hashtag the real Apple store. And I think those sort of key events just punctuated a year, but that we could then use those as a hook to talk about the market's commitments to sustainability and underneath it. So yes. it was a flash in the pan moment, but it was a really important shift in you have to follow that through with your product. You can't have people then coming to borrow market and not finding anything different so building on that 
working in partnerships so important really small team you know not big budgets working yes. in partnerships to deliver so schools programs we work with a great charity called school food matters food waste programs um we work with a charity called plan zeros and i've been i've been part of bringing those partnerships together which i hope will have a la- lasting legacy for this, this the place as well a couple of things so the market now is open six days a week we critically yes. opened the market on a sunday in response to london and londoners needs there was a ca- fantastic campaign um we had sadiq khan come and open the market we had a sunday newspaper um so it's not just been about footfall levels which are at um around four million a year in the space but it's about the type of demographic so we have shifted the number of londoners and uh, up to i mean it's really hard to say with this because obviously Mm. it changed every day but i would say Mm. you know kind of we're up to around the 40 50 percent of londoners regularly using the space and actually that was really important during covid because the market stayed open during that time as a a supply of fresh food and drink and that was crucial like the rest of the country our restaurants and our hot food kitchen weren't able to operate at certain times during the restrictions but we fought really hard to keep the outdoor space of the market open and we were the first public space in the uk um, ahead of government official guidance to insist on mask wearing while we were open certain topics that is beyond an amazing space to visit and buy great food but not forgetting that's at the heart of it so we fought really hard and that was the big shift Londoners obviously it was just Londoners and they rediscovered Mm. local Londoners so coming back from that a key priority was keeping the engagement of those regular customers that came Mm. to do shopping that came to do fruit and veg came to do their butchers Mm. had got Mm. to know the individuals because shopping Mm. in a market space is so different to a supermarket it's about conversation it's about relationships and those relationships have been built and we didn't want to be in a situation where they were lost so we Mm. have looked at engagement through loyalty and i don't mean loyalty club card i don't mean money off your shopping but making sure there are events and spaces and certain things happening so that regular shoppers can feel that it's their market as well as knowing there are millions of international visitors one-off and I always say I went to Borough Market before I started shopping there I took my mum and dad to buy cheese at Christmas that's brilliant it's a market for everybody. That's what I was very passionate about. And But it's about then shifting your, your audience. And this applies to anything. Yes. If somebody comes once, what do you do to increase that? What mm, makes them come mm, back? Mm. You were the Director of Communications and Engagement at Borough Market for, for over 10 years. Um, within that time, um, unfortunately, the 2017 London Bridge terror attacks, um, in which multiple people very sadly lost their lives, um, spread south of the river into Borough Market. Um, Can you tell us um, how that affected you at the time, but also um, how you dealt with that from a communications point of view and what communications plan you activated to to help deal with the situation yeah um
Oh, uh, sorry, Kate. I think we've literally just lost you for some reason. By the events um, uh, back in 2017, and that that includes the market community. Um, you don't come mm. into a role um, at Borough Market. Um, you know, we've talked about the fact I came from a government background and actually during my time in government, there were the horrific London terror attacks, um, which we yes. were all kind of pulled into press office for. But this was a very different experience in terms of how the, the, the Borough Market team are extremely small, under 50 people. And obviously it's a wider community of 130 small independent businesses but if you know about markets they are they are people's lives they are a community in themselves and Mm. um the community was shattered um by those events and whilst um with a communications hat on you do of course have um plans on paper in place for anything Mm. like this but i don't think anything can truly prepare for events that are you hope will never happen but when they do they are not as planned on paper quite often because these things Mm. are of the nature that they are um and Mm. i as well as colleagues that you know i'll I'll talk only from personally was was deeply affected um by that time i was actually the market itself was closed um it was during an evening time the market isn't open at evening but the bars and restaurants in the surrounding areas were and um yes i was i was actually on holiday <laughs> i was over in the states mm. so i was in a different time zone and i started to get phone calls from from friends to start with going where are you are you at work or what's happening and this started to filter through to american tv um and i was um typical i was in a, a i'd been taken you know this was like we were having a break i was um with my partner at the time who'd been over there for work and we'd got a log cabin mm. and Mm. not much mobile signal and (laughs) i was sitting in this Mm. 1950s log cabin with not much mobile signal looking at all i've had a really surreal moment where there was a deer in front of me and i'm learning about all of this Mm. anyway we got straight on a flight back to the uk and i met up with the emergency team um so we had a plan we couldn't access our offices which were on site at borough market we ended at an office in Tate Modern where our brilliant chair of trustees at the time, Donald Hislop, um, who I still work with on the Business Improvement District Board and yes. is a friend. Um, so it was myself, the MD, um, Director of Finance, uh, Director of Operations and myself. So in a room mm. learning what had happened and what you know what the situation was. And it, we had a 10-day period essentially where the market um was closed now in those first few days as anybody Mm. will know that is involved it is a police investigation you are you are not running that situation the communications are coming and led by by the police and that's where you take your stand from um first tip you know all everything cancelled everything on pause or scheduled social media um all of that kind of stops but but after a point when the police released the site um, mm. we didn't know what, what we were going to, to get. And that site remained closed for a 10-day period. We had an outpouring of public um, support for the market that I think took us all by surprise. Um, mm. When people lose something that is dear to them, it's quite often when it's not there that they realise how important it is. So people that were yes. 
devastated that would be like I, I make my daily walk through the market to work and 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 all of these things and we also had a really mm. practical situation where we had 130 businesses a lot of whom the, the beating heartbeat of that market are small yes. independent businesses who mm. livelihoods and businesses were on the line because their main source of income was the market so we yeah. set up a trader support fund a just giving page um we built on some big corporate relationships in the area um mm. to think about what we could do to to make sure the market was active and supported when we could reopen so all of this harnessed the genuine feeling of support for the market through social media there was um, an mm. organic not started by us hashtag love borough um, yes. that was gaining huge popularity. It didn't come from us. It came from people that were missing the market. We took that and used that to to remind people of the market when it wasn't there. So we had videos and photos, yes. but we had this background as well of nothing is more important than this people that have been affected and have lost their lives. So we were heavily mm. involved in local faith organisations that were organising support for the local community. Southwark Cathedral's bang on our doorstep and that was the building itself had been damaged during the attacks and that was yes. a great gathering point for people. I think at this mm. point, and what I'd say to fellow comms professionals is know your stakeholders. Yes. Stakeholders is such a such a term that's banded around, but these are people that are A, mm. really important to your comms channels, knowing who you are, have your contacts up to date, but they are also people that, that have a relationship with your organisation. Yes. And that's... That stakeholder mapping and that mm. all that exercise that you do in theory, mm. never more important than something like this because your internal communications channels are really paramount. You know, getting information out there, there is such a lot of noise, and you yes. at the center of it are, have to kind of see your way through that noise and really focus on the important messaging. So, we mm. had a campaign during those 10 days we didn't know how long that was going to be when we got the site back we didn't know how long it was going to take to make it accessible and we had yes. to then think about what was an appropriate reopening of the market space mm. because mm. so many people wanted to express their feelings for the market so we have a yes. market bell that is a ceremonial bell um that had been rung for the first time when we reopened a large part of the market space um, in 2013 by our yes. now king, but then Prince of, Prince of Wales. And we felt that was an appropriate place. Um, and Donald, uh, our chair, delivered a, mm. a speech that I admire him for getting through, which we worked on together. The day we reopened was actually uh, the day of the Grenfell fire. And obviously our reopening had been planned. We had Sadiq Khan down. We had Rupert Murdoch from over the road from mm -hmm. the UK. I had the yes. Archbishop there. We had all of this, but we also had mm. um, the police force. The media landscape overnight had shifted. So we were trying to manage huge amounts of TV crews and interest in us being diverse to Grenfell. But at the end of the day, these are individuals on the phone who were shocked about what was happening mm. as anybody else. And I think what I took from it was the kindness of individuals. Um, for me to be honest about the fact and honest with my team that, that mm. it was affecting us. Um, and we were a really small team. I would say with hindsight, I would put in mm. place far more of a strict rotor system, learning from government days. I think it's really yes. important in the time that people have TLC time and time out and, and time away and with their 
loved ones themselves because hmm. it, it does take an emotional toll when you're dealing with a situation like that and you're the, I was giving interviews myself as well of prepping others for them hmm. but, but that hmm. didn't hit me till probably a year later and, and I'll be really honest I'm actually quite an advocate for I took a couple of months out um after the first hmm. year anniversary and I just needed needed some time for me and, and looking after yourself and mm. I really don't want to sound like one of those memes that are posted but it is oh, so it. important and I don't think people talk about mental health and the impact within the communications industry because we, there's such a perception sometimes from outside around the kind of PR darlings mm. of the world but mm. if you are dealing with issues that are highly sensitive emotive mm. deeply upsetting your, your mm. comms people are, are, are at the, the front end of that and um, mm. I think it is important that that we say you know it's okay to be affected by stuff um, mm. and you do need to look after yourself within that so yeah I took mm. I took a couple of months away from work mm. after the first year anniversary uh, terrible time but I think if you can in any way take anything from it it does reinforce how much the market and borough market matters to people and when mm. something isn't there they truly value it uh, and I think then there's a point at which yes it has to be talked about but it is what you do in terms of the future so the mm. first campaign mm. that we went out with post all of this was really really important and that was that sustainability water fountains mm. we knew whatever the first thing we did afterwards was going to get more attention than perhaps it would have done to start with so we really of wanted course. to make that something positive mm. but not related that kind of su sustainability was was where we went with that after a appropriate period of time and very important i think um you know, clearly it's a it's a very harsh and a very blunt but a very important example of communications importance and value as a strategic function not just a nice to have that just does colouring in. Absolutely. Communications, yeah. I think that's the one thing I'd say. It's uh, If it isn't put at the heart of any business, if it isn't run mm. in parallel to strategic objectives and is part of those strategic objectives, it isn't going to work. And I, I kind of kid myself that that is a given these days, but I now, in the consultancy space, see, see communications down mm. at that end point of being classed as an enabler there's enough enablers are absolutely vital but mm. i will argue to this point it is a strategic function and yeah. businesses that succeed know that from the out yes. and it's there front and mm. center so. let's end on a happy note who is the best person or best leader you've ever worked for in terms of their communication this is this a trick question isn't it more about who you don't say about who you do i'm gonna go back to that start of my career and i'm now, people might laugh at this, um, but John Prescott, John Prescott, as a leader, as a politician, could communicate with people. And communications is about people. It's about people talking to one another. The mediums, you know, social media, a newspaper art, etc. But it's a, it's about human connection. And, and there's a real mm. art to that. And seeing somebody actually, you know, he was dyslexic. He was very open about the fact he was dyslexic. So yes. there, there were some cracking kind of slip ups on that level. But he, people could relate to him. This was a sprawling government department. That is a politician that knows the business of Westminster, but understands who his voters are as well. And, and I think he did that brilliantly. And also people, that fondness, you can see the being a real person still mm. translates because that's what comms is to me that's mm. what good communicators are 
Mm. I have found a space and a career in communication. I'm a people person. I like finding out people's stories and I like talking to people. And I don't think you can be in this game if fundamentally you don't have what I hope, um, you know, a, a good basic communication skills yourself because you do care about what you're doing. Really wise words and um, lovely to hear about uh, perhaps maybe a side of John Prescott that a lot of people aren't necessarily aware of. Quite often those that are portrayed in the media as, be- as being one thing often in real life are are the others. It's also probably another thing to say, uh, use those journalistic instincts sometimes and don't don't always believe everything you read in the paper at face value. Absolutely. And I think there's something around just your gut instinct of meeting somebody um, and that that sense of connection, which has run through everything through my career and what I like, but also something that hopefully I've been able to elevate more laterally in in kind of borough markets. These are human connection, human engagement. And we as communicators, if we can help facilitate some of that, I mean, that's making a difference. And that's where I've ploughed my energy into and will continue to do that. If you can make differences to communities and individuals, whatever field you're in, that makes me feel good about myself and what I do. Super lovely, positive words to end on there. Uh, Yeah. And I definitely echo your thoughts. Uh, Thank you very much for your openness and your honesty too. I think, um, you know, particularly the communications you did around the terror attack in 2017 is can't be easy to speak and talk about and relive so thank you thanks for having me max it's been um, i've really enjoyed our conversation thank you for coming on to the uh, comms coffee club podcast um and yeah hope to interview you again at some point in the future look forward to it super lovely stuff cheers kate thanks max